Hello, and welcome to episode 88 of Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. And I'm Brenna. And I'm Will, without a guitar. Without a guitar, sadly. That was a little off mic humor there. Um, so, and joining us this week, that voice you heard is Brenna Turner. Uh, Brenna is a playwright who lives in New York and happens to be my sibling-in-law, who I love very much. Uh, their play, At the Wedding, premiered at Lincoln Center on March 21st and is running through April 24th. We've never had a playwright on the show. I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show, Brenna. I'm so excited to be here. Is there anything I missed in my little intro that you'd like to add about yourself? Um, no, that's it. I'm a playwright. I live in Brooklyn. I have cats. Those are the highlights. I miss the cats. I knew yeah, it. Wow. I knew I was missing something. I got I'm to meet those Peter. cats in New York last week, so that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, Will, I'm going to turn over to you because you always ask our very first question of our guests, and um, that's just how we do it. So go for yeah. it, buddy. So, Brenna, I want you to describe your career in three words. With They don't have to be related. It can be completely random. So how would you describe your career in three words? My career. That's fun. Um, surprising. Mm-hmm. Lucky. Mm-hmm. And evolving. So we're going to talk about those three words. So surprising. Why was it surprising? Why that word? Um, I think it was surprising because I... I am a writer who had one of those like weird experiences and like lucky tied into the other word um, experiences where I had my very first play was like I had written for a writer's group when I had just gotten out of graduate school and they were doing a little reading of it um, at this tiny theater. And I had asked like the intern of the company that, ran my writer's group to direct it. And she happened to be like, Oh, I'm going to invite this guy who I assistant directed at this festival to come. He's now the artistic director of LCT three, which is Lincoln center's new space, space for new writers, um, emerging voices. Uh, is that okay with you? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, you know, he probably can't come, but can you read the play? And I was like, sure, send my play to like someone at a fancy theater. Like that's, of course, I don't, I don't mind. Um, But like, I don't feel very optimistic that anything will come of it. And then like two days later, I got a phone call and it was Evan Cabinet, the artistic director of LCT3. And he said he wanted to produce the play that he had read. Um, And so it always like, I was literally like standing on a street corner with a friend from this writer's group. And I was like, what the, f-? like, I was like, are you kidding? Like, I, like, I, I, I couldn't quite like react because I didn't know what was happening. And he was like, do you have an agent? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, you're going to get one. And I like, it just was this like very sort of like cartoonish, like, um, it felt like a little bit being struck by lightning. So I always think of it as lucky. Well, and, and this is Bull in a China shop we're talking about, right? This is my first play, Bull in a China shop. Yeah. Yeah which we were lucky enough to see out on the West coast and it's amazing as well, but we, we'll talk more specifically about at the wedding and stuff later. But um, I love that story. And one of the things that's funny is our audience is 
mostly fiction writers. And so that process that you just described of like how that worked for you. I mean, I know it's not typical for even playwrights, but at the same time, it's like, we have no idea. A lot of us have no idea. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, I'm jumping the gun. What's the next word? Sorry, buddy. Murky. Murky. Did you say murky was the last word? No, the next word is you said murky, right? Or mucky. I said lucky. You said wow. lucky? Okay. I, I really like murky. Okay. Um, can we can we talk wow, about murky then? Hearing. I mean, like, where's the hearing aid? No, I, I think two people were on the East Coast and like you guys cut I mean, it in and out a little bit sometimes. I'm gonna I'm gonna I literally okay. wrote down murky, dude. That's what I heard. So you're hearing things because I heard lucky too. <laughs> I was like, where's this lucky word coming from? Okay. Uh, what's the last word then? Oh, Indi- evolving. Evolving. In- yes. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Okay. That was Good. it. Wow. <laughs> We're professionals. We are. So evolving. Um, well, I said evolving just because I feel like I'm still figuring out what my career is. And um, in sort of a fun way, there's a lot of things that I want to do and a lot of things that playwrights are very close to like I want, I want to do some writing for TV eventually. Um, and I want to do other types of writing, but, but so far I've, I've only done playwriting. Um, but I, but I hope that my career is evolving and I feel that it is, I feel that I'm close to other avenues somehow. <laughs> Marshall. Yes. Do you oh. want to ask the next question? Cause I'll keep going. No, no. Why don't you ask one more and then I'm going to see where it goes because I have another question in mind. Go ahead. So tell us how did you actually get into playwriting? Did it start out? Is that, was that your first love? Like I really just wanted to write plays or you wanted to write scripts or did it start from like a prose perspective and evolved into playwriting and screenwriting? Absolutely. I, I am like many people who get into theater, you start as an actor because there are no other avenues. Um, So I was like a really shy little kid. Um, And I think actually my mom got a job working at this rec center in Mendocino. um, And she had to find an activity for all four of her kids to do over the summer. And her only rule was that we couldn't do the same one because she believed that like we were well-behaved when we were on our own, but terrible together. And (laughs) which is kind of true. Um, Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. (laughs) I think that would describe the four of us pretty well. (laughs) I've known you guys 20 years. That's true. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Good people by ourselves. Uh, A little, a little weirder when we're together. Um, (laughs) So I also was so shy. I would only do things with uh, people that I knew and someone who went to our church happened to be running this little drama club. And by some, you know, coincidence, like all five-year-olds signed up. And so she was like, I'm going to do, I was five at the time. She was like, I'm going to do this like sing-along to Annie songs. Um, And even though it was so stupid, literally we played a cassette tape and sang with it, the songs. It was like enough for me. Like I was like, I was like, I am an actor. You know, the the world is opening up for me. This is actually going to be my arena and this is like totally unrelated but I always like you know my family isn't big on photographing we don't really film a lot of things we don't have any of that and so once I went to a friend's house who I like met when I was 12 
And she was like, I was in that production too. And I have a videotape of it. And I was like, oh man, my family doesn't do any of that stuff. They totally forgot. And then she played the videotape and you can't really see the action because my family takes up the entire front row. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my, you know, the, the whole family is there and they're taking up the whole front row and they don't care. And it's just like, I was like, it was one of those moments playing it back for me that I was like, oh, like they show up, you know, that's like, that's a good way of describing my family. It's like, they didn't record it. They don't really remember it, but they were all there. Um, I just tell that story for you, Marshall. <laughs> I'm, I'm like trying not to cry. That's that's your family. I love that's it my so family, much. Right? They're like all, I just they're all there. Uh-oh. They're all there, front row. Like, and it really like yeah. I yeah. I just like even as a five year old, I was like wow. Like they were there to catch me sing off tune. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Uh, I love but it. anyway, long winded to say that I started as an actor, um, and then I was also always like writing poetry. Um, And I really loved poetry, but I never really knew, I never thought of connecting the two until I got to college. And actually, like I was going to a women's college, Mount Holyoke, historically women's college, and I was playing all the male leads in all the productions. And I was like, oh, I dig this. And then I was like, I think this is like, you know, I think I could do this professionally and then I was like oh I can't do this professionally like I'm not going to be cast as like the male lead you know in a in a play professionally um and so I was like well what am I going to do and I sort of started pursuing playwriting as a way to merge those two interests and so was your undergraduate degree in uh writing or English or was it completely separate from anything writing related it was theater. It was a it was a general theater, theater degree. Yeah, amazing. And then you went and did your um, master's program at Rutgers in playwriting. Yeah. And- Can you talk about that process? Like, how do you feel about going to get your master's? Do you feel like you know that really um, helped you? Do you feel like it's necessary for playwrights to do something like that? Like, what what is it about that journey? Can you talk about it? Absolutely. Um, So I got my MFA from Rutgers University, which is really a program run by one person. It's Kathleen Tolan. She's a playwright. There are usually like, it's a program that has two students a year, um, usually a max of four students at most. I'm actually, um, Kathleen's on sabbatical this semester, so I'm teaching there. I have two students um, right now. And so it's very personal. It's a very personal education. And part of that program and part of why I was interested in it is that it, she offered um, two things that I think were really important for me as a playwright and for playwrights in general, which is one, the program said that they were going to get us tickets to see all the plays basically that we wanted in New York City during, while we're in school. So once a week we would go to see what is actually happening, like the plays that are actually being produced in New York city, um, which is like always what I figured, like the education I needed was to like be able to see it, but I couldn't afford it. You know, I was living in the city and I just couldn't afford to see all that theater that I wanted to. Um, so that was really important to me to just learn what is happening and what, what theater can do and what theater is doing. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the other part of it that was really important to me was that it, the school offered productions of your pieces. They were going to produce two with their student actors. 
And that was like, I was like, okay, well, that's not something I can figure out on my own. Like, you know, how a play actually works with actors and a director. And to have that experience at the early stages, really, like, I feel like I learned so many things about how actors work that has really informed my process as a writer. You know, things when I was a first starting out that really annoyed me, like, you know, the actors always had these questions like, oh, but what, what does my character want? And I'd be like, well, I don't like, you know, like I was like, I don't know. But then, but then I would see these actors, these young actors who couldn't like do the part at all. And once you'd be like, you want to like, you know, you want to have sex with this person or you want to like get out of this argument. And then suddenly they could do it so well. And I was like, well, if I can answer those questions, I've got a really good play. Like, like if the actors can do it, it looks good. Like it looks like a good play. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, once I figured out we were working together to make something really good, my plays got a lot better. So from a writing perspective, you know, as like, you know, a lot of times when you have actors, they're not just going to read a script. Sometimes they will improv or say, you know, I think I can say this line uh, different. A lot of fiction writers would be like, how dare you change my words? Um <laughs> you and you know would want to stab you but as a playwright what is that experience like are you do you find that playwrights are overall um like community driven like they're like okay like yeah that's totally fine like how do you view that as when someone's trying to interpret your work uh, through acting totally i've been told that i am particularly um generous or loose with how actors behave with my work. Because for me, like my perspective is I want the best play, like, and I want to tell a story. And I think we're all working together to make that happen. And so I think rather than fighting an actor's instincts to make sure it's exactly what I am, like exactly the words I wrote, if they can say it, uh, better in their own voice, like slightly, you know, not a big change, but like the joke lands a little bit better this way. I am very much like, great, let's get the laugh. Let's, let's get it. So you say it and that it feels real and it feels like something you're saying in the moment. That's more important to me than like, you know, I chose a different word than this. Occasionally I will be like, actually the line is this, but, um, <laughs> Uh, Can you say it that way? <laughs> right. Like I, I wrote it actually in a way that might be funnier than what you're doing. Um, but for me, like I think of it as storytelling is the goal and they are, the actors are very much a part of that. If they were going like way off script, I think I'd have a problem, but generally actors are, are pretty respectful of new work um, and, and are trying to, are trying to, perform what you've written. I think, should we, I was thinking, um, because I have a couple questions that are kind of about the production of plays, but I feel like you, should we talk about, we talked about uh bull in the China shop a little bit. Um, I'd like to actually have us talk about at the wedding a little bit and then kind of circle back into how the process kind of works because I know that's, I know there's a lot of folks in our community that are actually really interested in screenwriting and playwriting and other types of writing, but they have no idea how that works. So, um, but I also don't want to lose the time talking about at the wedding because it was amazing. Will and myself, we actually got to see it. 
Um, and it was absolutely phenomenal. And I, and I loved it. And if you couldn't hear, if you didn't know, I loved it. You could hear me laughing in the background, but, um, so let's talk about that. Just, this was supposed to open cause we were supposed to come out there a couple of years ago. Right. Um, so just what was the little background for this play? Um, and did it change a little bit, um, between two years ago, pre COVID and now? Yeah. Um, this was at the wedding was supposed to premiere, I think June, 2020, but we cast it, we cast all the roles in January, 2020. And we were like literally having auditions and, and the news was starting to like break that this, there was something to be worried about. And we were all like, Oh, that's, oof, I hope nothing bad happens there. Um, <laughs> like, like actors would come in and we'd be like hand sanitizing in between. We were like, Oh yeah, we, I guess we won't shake hands. Um, and so it was very strange. And then obviously the first word was like, Oh, we're going to postpone it for a couple months. And then, you know, that just kept, so that phone call kept happening um, in sort of a disheartening way. Uh-huh. And now here we are, what is it? March, 2022. And so it did evolve during that time period. Um, and I was able to figure some things out. I'm also like a fast writer. So I stopped myself from focusing on it too much because otherwise, you know, this is a 70 minute comedy and it could have turned into like, a three hour epic. I'm very aware that like with too much time, I could have been like, it's set in space. You know, like I just, I was like, I was like, I gotta like actually like look at this kind of sparingly. Um, so that is what I did when it was like real that it was happening. I was like, Oh God, like, let's take a look at this thing. And like, let me try a few things. And one of the last pieces to come in was the ancient Mariner bit of it. Um, that came in really recently actually and i i really i really loved that aspect that part of it but um so can you tell us so what is at the wedding about tell tell our audience because not everybody has access to the script they're not in new york um tell them why when it opens near them hopefully it might um that they why they should go see it at the wedding is a comedy about a heartbroken lesbian who goes to her ex's wedding maybe for closure, um, maybe to win the bride back, unsure. Um, and it's a comedy about all the things she gets up to that night. Yeah. Does that sound like a it's fair hilarious. description? No, it's, no, it's a great description. And that's one of the things, um, and hopefully people are taking notes, uh, our listeners are taking notes, because fiction writers are often asked to pitch their work, right? And that was perfect. It's like, you know, this is what it is. This is what it's about. And it, it was, it was exactly what, what, what I saw and that's what people should expect. And I loved that. Um, well, I have a question. Yeah. So I want to talk about also the way that you pitched it. Um, because I'm sure there's a lot of well-meaning straight people that were like, what? Um, they went to the, um, their ex's wedding. <laughs> and I feel like with the queer community relationships can be a lot different than our st- straight counterparts. I feel like we build a lot of community, right? And um, I have lots of friends who are still, you know, really close with their exes and have gone to things like their weddings. And you don't really see that a lot in um, the broader culture, 
right? In Western culture, I would say, especially, where you wouldn't find Marshall going to his ex's wedding, you know, to be like, hey, so we'll <laughs> yeah, talk about that, would, that. Like, that wouldn't be very that good. Do you find that true, Brenna? Like, you know, I feel like that's something that's very wonderful and unique about the queer community. Yes, absolutely. Actually, my director is queer and she, um, one of the reasons why she loves this play is that her wife's ex not only went to their wedding, but gave a toast and like, <laughs> like gave a toast that was like a little bit, um, just like I would say a little bit roast, a roast toast at the um, <laughs> rehearsal dinner. And she said that she, like her family's all Southern and they were like clutching their pearls. And then her wife's family, like our, our chosen family, they're all queer people. And they were like clapping, like they were like having the time of their lives. And that it just like, and even though she felt conflicted, but like, really, you're going to invite your ex to the wedding. She was also like this, your ex is your family. And like, that is real. And that is like, something that we respect and celebrate and and yeah these these ideas that there's something about not having as tidy of an ending a hundred percent and with that even though theater is uh, i would say i say this lovingly overrun by queer people i mean it, it doesn't feel like we're often telling queer stories that doesn't have to do with death you know, or some type of tragedy. And while this was certainly, she was heartbroken, this was really a comedy, you know, and it was specific yet universal. So can you talk about kind of writing queer stories in a place that doesn't surprisingly always embrace that type of queerness? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love queer comedies. And actually, like, I feel like partly why I didn't know I could be a playwright um, until I read the plays of Madeline George, who writes like, just my favorite queer comedies ever. Like the first time I read it, and it was like a comedy I read. um, Oh, God, it's a great title, and I'm gonna forget it. Um, Seven Homeless Mammoths Wander New England. And it's like this comedy about these lesbian professors um and like uh a university that's losing funding and it's like hilarious and outrageous and I was like oh I could do this and it was the first time that I like I I had tried writing plays about like genderless goat people at the bottom of the ocean but I never actually tried writing a like comedy about lesbians which is like what my world looks like. And I was like, why, <laughs> why did that? Like I tried to do these Beckett inspired weird pieces before I ever tried to like write about the people I know and love and like the life that I find so much joy in. Um, because it's, because you don't see it and I hadn't seen it and I didn't know I could, and I didn't know it would be interesting. Um, so I am so happy to, to do that and to make that kind of art because that's the art that I so respond to. So I want to, I want to follow up to that question because you said something that I even say a lot on the podcast for me. Um, I, when I was first writing like my first young adult book, I had one queer person in it and they weren't even the main character. And while I wrote diversely as far as ethnically, because that was just so ingrained in me because of my surroundings. I also only had like one woman in it, which both of those things are really bizarre because I am surrounded 
by women because of my sisters, you know, early on. And then also, um, I'm surrounded by queer people all the time, right? And I had to like have a process of letting go, right? Like, why am I not telling those stories? And a lot of it, I feel like it's this internal narrative that we grew up with that uh, queer stories weren't important or no one would want to hear them. So for your journey, and like you said, you know, why wasn't I writing about, you know, these stories? So why weren't you? And what dis- what discovery did you made? Did you make when you started writing it? Does that make sense? Am I framing this? That the right makes way? total sense. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't writing them because I didn't know what they looked like because, because queer people are usually depicted as the punchline. And I didn't want to do that. You know, like I was very clear that I didn't want to use any, you know, like they were going to not going to be gay jokes in my play. There weren't going to be any of these hurtful stereotypes. So then, so then I just didn't know what to do because I, I, you try, especially when you're first starting out, most of your work is emulating something. So I really just didn't know what it would look like. I had no idea. And that's why finding the work of someone who had written a like comedy about lesbians, I was like, Oh, it, this is what it could be. Okay. Like this is, this is the new blueprint, like throw away the other ones. Like this is something that actually speaks to me and actually speaks to my life. And this is what I want to do. And I went, and I was like, Oh, the characters in this play look like my friends. Like I could just write plays about my friends. Like I was like, Oh, that would be yeah. so much easier than these invented people that I've never met, you know, like, or these like the goat people. I mean, they were interesting, the goat people, but not that interesting, mm-hmm. you know, actually, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was like, okay. Uh, yeah. I- I do want to hear the goat people story at some point, if I'm being honest. I I mean, this is something we have to talk about later. Um, But on that note, as far as writing about the people around you and stuff like that, like there, I've known you a couple decades and there's some stuff that pops up in this play that I'm familiar with. um, Mostly the location too. Right. So was, was where you said it and some of the content um, because of, of what you just said, mostly is that why some of this stuff is familiar or what was the inspiration kind of behind, you know, the characters and, and some of the back and forth that happened? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do like when I'm reaching for something and I want to be specific, um, it's, I do reach for something I know, like there's a scene, I think the scene you're referring to is they, they talk about going to a bar and walking down a street and they come across a fence and then they go to the ocean and all those places are real to the place that I grew up and that Marshall lives. Um, and so. It's like, so funny not know, to cut you off, but like, like literally will sitting next to me and I'm jabbing him. I'm like, that's a place where I live. He's talking about, you know, and it was just, it was just one of those moments. I was just so and it brought me joy, you know, because it was something familiar to me as well. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I love that. And I think like these little moments that I I pepper in my plays, like there's little tiny things that are that are true and they're true to me and to my experiences. And they're sort of like 
like when different people come to my plays, they experience them as like a, they feel like, Oh my God, that's a tiny joke for me. And I, and I love that. Like my last play was about um, bull in a China shop was about Mount Holyoke where I went to school. And afterwards, all these people who went to my university would be like, no one who didn't go to Mount Holyoke will get this play. And I was like, well, they will and they have, but I love that you think that it was written just for you because that's like the, that's, that's the feeling I want you to have. Like, I want you to feel like, oh my God, this spoke just to me. And the, so I love that you have that experience. And it is like that, that part is just for you. You know, just like there's a joke about a dorm at Mount Holyoke and it's like, yeah, that is just for the Mount Holyoke people. And it's okay that, you know, it's a tiny population, but when they see it, they're going to love it. And they're going to show up like, you know, back to the front row image. Like I know yeah. they're going to show up. One of the things that I wanted to talk about um, around this play was the a couple of the characters, right? Um, so we, we have, how do I want to say this? We have the main, we have, we have the main character who we're kind of following and, and this person is starts off talking to kids and it's like really, I mean, when I realized what was happening, I was like, Oh, this is, this is what it's going to be about. So um, as far as character, um, I don't want to say inspiration again, but like, the dynamics, like some of these characters, when you first wrote this play, let's go with that. Cause as fiction writers, we have a cast of characters in our head, but typically, right. Um, so did new characters pop up at some point as you needed them? Or did you have this cast kind of, um, I imagine you had kind of the core group in mind, but like some of the characters, one of the ones I was telling Will that I loved and telling you, in fact, um, was the mother, but there's only the one scene. And I found myself like, I want to hang out with this lady like a little bit longer. So I'm just wondering the length of time and the characters um, and how that developed. If you could talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. For this one, it was uh, really specific because I've never written such a first person experience in a play before. We experienced this play almost through the eyes of Carlo, at least for the first half of the play, I'd say. It's set up as like she is um, our, she's the, the guide for the audience. And we're getting her perspective because we start with her. She starts by talking directly to the audience. Um, and then the reveal is that you're at the kids' table. Um, it's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, I, I had this, this character of Carlo, this heartbroken person, um, because I was actually, she came up while I was revising my other play, Bull in a China Shop, which is a play about love that lasts for 40 years. And I wrote it after going through a breakup. And I sort of wrote the first draft in that like denial phase. And then of course, this very lucky thing happened to me where they're like, we're going to do your play. And then Unfortunately, I started going through the other phases of grief. And so like I was tasked to, to finish this play for this great opportunity in my life. But this like other voice of like anger and like maybe love won't last emerged. And so I, I didn't want to ruin Belinda China Shop. So I was like, well, we have to give Carlo her own play. And so I originally had for Carlo just that opening monologue and then the scene with the bride. And that's all I had. I actually, I sent it to Kathleen Tolan, my mentor from Rutgers, 
And she was like, well, you have to write this play. And I was sort of like, I'm busy. I'm writing a different play. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then she, she actually said, she was like, I, I, you know, need something for a few acting students at Rutgers who didn't get parts in the, the playwrights plays. Can you write? Give, and I was like, I don't have anything. And she was like, what about these things? Like write three more scenes for it. And so some of those characters, literally, I was like, I was like, okay, who else would she meet at this wedding? And the, the, it was a really different version that emerged um, originally, like almost all different people, um, but they just didn't quite work. Carly, who's a bridesmaid in the, in the final version. um, She was there, but she was a vet tech, Um, just like a very different vibe, but she was, but there's a moment where the bridesmaid in the final version, like she starts out as an enemy, but then later she like, hugs Carlo in a moment of sort of surprising intimacy. And it actually came because she was a vet tech and she had said some metaphor about like how she holds rabid animals. And I'm like, I like, I like cut that, but I was like, but I just like that she holds her like this weird, this weird thing feels right. Even, even when we remove all the other pieces. Um, But yeah, these other characters, Lee came up actually pretty soon and Lee has evolved a lot, but they are another queer person that Carlo meets at the wedding. And they're maybe like the first hope that Carlo might move on from her ex and, and maybe might have a romantic connection with Lee. Um, And so they came up pretty soon and I was like, okay, I like them. But the last additions were Eli, who is this English uh, teacher character. I love that guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love him too. And Maria, the mother of the bride. And um, they, I was thinking a lot about love and I was thinking about that as my central theme. And so these are two characters who are in very different journeys with love. Eli is deep in love um, and Maria is deep uh, burned by love. So they sort of existed. They emerged as like, ghost of Christmas past and ghost of Christmas future for Carlo in a, in a way that that was very useful for me. Oh, for sure. Uh, and I guess, well, I'm going to ask you to help me out here. I think a little bit because so I don't want to say this. We don't understand how to write plays or I don't understand how to write plays. Um, and so I know you, well, well, you've written plays, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the process to me um, seems very foreign, but I am going to start dabbling in screenwriting a little bit and which, and so I'm mm-hmm. just trying to get my mind around some of this stuff. So how does the process work as far as, I mean, you've talked about your inspirations and stuff like that, but like when you go down and, and I'm getting to the technical part here, do you, once you have an idea what do you do from there? Do you just write scenes? Do you outline? Do you, cause from a fiction writer perspective, and this is why I'm talking about this is like, we, there's all kinds of different avenues, but typically either you outline or you start writing, but at some point you have to plan something like, so what is that process like even for you or for playwriting in general? Playwrights are famously disorganized. Like we're, we're very much like, I think of all mediums. We're like, I don't know. I'll find it on the page. Um, which is why I think so many plays can be excruciating to sit through. Um, but, (laughs) 
But so there's a lot of like discovery on the page, discovery, like letting the characters surprise you. And I think that is lovely. But I also, you know, and I'm teaching now, so I'm cognizant of it. Like I'm cognizant that there are certain structures and certain things that are useful, even in in the new play world, which is, you know, I think one of the celebrates being loose and inventive and, and um, not formulaic, but yet some of those like character structures are really helpful. Like if you're really what I'm trying to figure out is like, cause there's, there's all kinds of authors out there too that are like, use this plot structure, use the three act structure, use this, use that. Right. And, and I guess what I'm curious about is just um, what your process is with, because any author you sit down with is going to say, well, I start with a loose outline and then I, you know, kind of wing it for a while and then I'll go back to it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just curious what your process is and maybe even more specifically with this play. I mean, you did kind of detail it a little bit, but um, what I want to get to ultimately though, is the process from once you have it written and it's going to be produced, what that side of it looks like. While I'm creating something I'm trying to think of to make a good scene is what are the characters, what do the different characters involved, you know, back to like working with actors, what, what do they want? What are they doing? How is that maybe, how are they working together, but maybe their interests don't align? What is somebody, you know, not telling the other, all the sort of dramatic irony and all the things that make theater fun to watch. Like we happen to know that this character doesn't want this thing to happen that they seem to be saying that they do, you know, what are, what are those sort of like things that are really fun to watch as an audience member? That's sort of what I'm thinking about. And then how is that expressed via characters, via actors? How, how can it be expressed that how can the story be expressed via two or three people trying the in conversation uh, to do something or to not do something also, what situation are they in that could be interesting dramatically? Will look like you had a question. No, actually, I have a comment and maybe a question, I think. I feel like when you're writing plays or screenwriting, this is a really great way to make dialogue powerful. And as where fiction, you know, there's always some things people struggle with. And I feel like as an exercise to write something different, trying to write a play or a a screenplay is a really good exercise to strengthen other skills that you don't have automatically, right? So like what I love about the opening of of Carlo's monologue, and then it jumps the scene between Carly and Carlo, just reading and I've seen the play, but just reading it again, you can tell who's talking. You don't need to look at the um, the who who it is, right? And I think that's a really amazing talent and a skill that you know you've done, Brenna, because that's really hard to create that authentic voice just from the page, and then you have the actors lay layer it, right? On so when you're when you were starting out and you were crafting the play or any play, 
how did you get that specific tone for each character as far as the way that they're uh they're talking i i think also i'm i am thinking about actors when i write a little bit and so i am and i am just thinking about balance a little bit because i think that makes a scene really interesting so if i have this like very comedic very um sort of biting lesbian as Carlo, the protagonist, it's like, well, who is she going to meet? <laughs> and so like, what is the most, well, who would be the most fun person to put her in a room with? And so of course, like the like very heterosexual bridesmaid, like very femme sort of person would be like a really good nemesis for this person to, to be in a room with. And, and the, that is like a very lovely sort of battle to watch in that scene. Um, and then another person who's great to see this character have to deal with is the like romantic, the person who like believes in love. And she's like, don't stop run, you know, like, and that is like a, like another lovely, like they have different perspectives on it. And so how do they interact? And like, does she convince him? Does he convince her? what what is going on in those scenes um it just partly arises out of out of that so my other question has to do with characters before we move into kind of the publication part of this because i i I think our audience would like to know a little bit about that as well but um so as far as side characters now one of my favorites was the waiter and I, there was one thing that I loved about that character was one, he says nothing for a long time. And then he says words and then he doesn't say anything again. But the fact that he's there and he has this moment oh, and he does say something, I think later, but, um, but it's just amazing how you, so part of that is that balance you're talking about, I feel like, but like when we are writing side characters for fiction, a lot of times people just kind of come and go, but on stage, everybody has a presence, right? So how does that, I guess, how does that work? Or what did you, did, did you have to create the waiter? Was the waiter always there? Um, and there's other characters that are kind of in the periphery as well. So if you could talk about that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. The waiter was the last character we added. We added that character in January of this year. Um, and he really? actually, yeah, he was our last addition. Um, and originally he came about for like a very practical stage reason, which is that they're ordering drinks throughout the whole play. And it's like, well, where do they get these drinks? You know, like, you know, like I'm, and I love the texture of how they do it. They're always like, you know, Carla will be mid sentence and then she'll start just being like, can we get another drink? Which is like how I feel like people will be saying something really serious at a bar. And then suddenly they see, they have the bartender's attention and they'll just like, they'll be like, no, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. I can't believe he fucking, can I get a drink? And I just yeah. like love the texture of that. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to give that to Carlo and these characters. Um, so I, so I just wrote it and I didn't write anyone giving them the drinks. So I was like, I don't really care. Like I, you know, solve it. Um, and they were like, great. We, the only way to solve it is to have a person bring them the drinks. Um, and so the idea was like, is this guy going to be an unspeaking, like non-speaking role or a speaking role? And we, so we hired an actor originally with no lines and we were like, 
he might get lines. Like we had to, it's a different contract. So we had to like, I had to have like several long conversations with the head of casting being like, he might get lines. And he was like, well, if he does get lines, what will they be like? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I was like, he might speak. I was like, I was like, I don't want you to give me someone with a contract so they can't speak because I am the kind of writer where if I, have a lovely person in the room, I'm eventually going to write him a scene. Like, just like, how could you not, you know, like, it's like, I have this whole other human being. How could they not eventually do something? Um, And so our actor Jorge came into the process and, you know, he was doing so much to communicate that the wedding is going on, even though it's not in these scenes that we see on stage, there's this offstage wedding that's really present um, and it's present because he's our little messenger from the wedding. He's always running through. He's running through with a wedding cake. He's running through with coffee. He's running through with the champagne toast, like everything that you would imagine. It just gives it this whole layer of there's a whole offstage life, um, which is such a beautiful texture that the director really came up with. Um, but I know how I something I love about theater are the limitations of theater And I know that everyone watching it knows that there are limitations in theater. And so you do start to be like, oh, this guy's not going to speak. Maybe he's on a non-speaking contract. (laughs) Um, You know, like we're all, there's like people who go to see theater are theater nerds. Like we know this stupid stuff. Like we we're like too in it and we like think about the dumbest things. And so it was actually very important to me that the director was trying to give him little lines throughout. And I was like, no, because the payoff is that he doesn't say anything. Right. And then he has this little scene and it's like, yeah. it's more surprising than if he had said like, you're welcome or something, you know, like throughout because like this dumb part of our brains, like just is trying to learn the language of plays because they're different. And this dumb part of our brains is like, okay, he's not going to say anything. Right. And so as soon as we've decided, I don't think that guy's going to say anything for him to have this little scene is a sort of, is fun. It's just fun as an audience to be like, Oh good. He's going to say something. Well, it's funny because as soon as he was on this scene doing stuff, and especially when you've been a server in your life, I'm like, he's going to say something eventually. And I really want him to say something. Are they really Mm -hmm. not going to let him say anything? Like I'm having this conversation in my head the whole time. And I, I just, I loved it. It was so fun. Um, so, well, I'm going to turn it to you. If you have any, we're, we're winding down closest to our time. So I just want to make sure. Uh, we get our oh, questions I, I, in. No, you keep going. Okay. I know you have your outline. If you talk about my outline again, and I'm literally <laughs> looking at it, and you, and I know you're refusing to look at it, which I think is funny. Um, yeah. So me, Brenna, all the time. Make an outline. <laughs> make an outline. And then I was like, Oh my god, did you guys look at the outline? Do you want to add to it? Oh no, I didn't. Ha- I didn't look at the outline. I just, you know, I just wanted to know what was going on. Oh, okay. So you made me do all that work for nothing. Yeah, go fuck yourself, Marshall. <laughs> And here I am. Um, so I want to, I want to wrap up with uh, talking about the play and then I want to have a, a publication kind of weird question. Uh, but so what do you want? Look, I, I love everything about this play um, top to bottom. I love everything about it. Um, I hope, and, and congratulations on the extension, by the way, I, it was supposed to run through, I think what the 14th and it's now the 24th of April. Yeah. Another yeah. week. Um, so that's amazing. Uh, what do you want people to take away from this play when they walk out? Um, I laughed. I had a great time, but at the same time, 
what do you what do you want people to walk away with after this? Yeah. I hope what what I wanted in making the play, like one of my goals for the story was to take someone on a journey from radical despair to radical hope. Like I wanted to see someone who at the start of the play is just like absolutely don't don't fall in love, don't do this, don't do that. Every everything everything life has to offer looks beautiful, but it's actually going to it's going to, you know, screw you up, so don't do it, kids. And then by the end of the play for her to be at a place where maybe she's going to go forward and like start living her life. Um, so that was sort of my goal for it and I do hope that it does feel hopeful even though it's not a traditional it's not a traditional rom-com. It's not a traditional happy ending. I, I, I hope that people leave feeling a little bit like go live your life. Um, go to the wedding, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, and I felt that by the way. Uh, so I, mean, I, I want to interject. Now. <laughs> yes, please. I, I do feel like it was really hopeful. I think that really beautiful scene with Carlo and Eva at the end, it was closure. But at the same time, I, I got it that Carlo was like, it's going to be okay. Like, and I did feel like Carlo was still very happy for Eva. Right. I'm getting the names right. Right. Everyone. Yeah. Um, I really felt like she felt that it was bittersweet, but at the same time, still very hopeful and still very happy for Eva. Um, And I felt it rang very true. You know, where I think sometimes when we watch rom-coms, it's just like a quick pick-me-up, but then we're like, does that really happen? Do you know what I mean? And this just felt very, you could see this actually playing out in life type of thing, you know, and I really enjoyed that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I do want it to feel like, Oh, it might not be what you thought you were going to get, but it might, but it's what you need. Like it's, it's, it's like, Oh, it's a little bit more realistic. It's a little bit more messy life stuff, Mm -hmm. which is that I came here thinking I wanted something and I didn't get that, but actually I got what I needed. Yeah. Marshall. Um, no, I almost don't want to ask these questions now that we've had this conversation, but, uh, I guess my, my question is, really around um, because we, we talk all the time to authors in every stage of their career. You've had two plays, um, you know, produced, put on um, and that they're, they're amazing. So what I, what I kind of want to ask is the process for fiction publication is so different, right? Um, If somebody was trying to get into writing plays, is there any, is there a starting point? that makes sense? Or is there a, um, a general, I don't want to say this, a general progression of how it would happen. Like with fiction, for example, you know, you write the story, then you find, you pitch your story to an agent. Hopefully the agent likes it. Then they go to the publisher and it's this whole process, right? I know plays are different in, in a lot of ways. So like, is there a, I guess a streamlined version and like, um, I know. Can you talk about publication just in general? Yeah, absolutely. 
I think plays are, are very different in that the first first step, write the play. Second step, find the people or the people will find you to do the play. Um, and then after a production usually is when publication and licensing comes in. Um, and then it's about from there. So, the, so there's like a couple steps that go in before we get into publishing or licensing. And it usually is uh, the play is being produced and actually has life. Sometimes it's produced multiple times before anyone wants to publish or license it. Um, and then that is about someone who prints that like play form you see at like the drama bookshop or, you know, teen actors are reading on the train. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know, you don't see them around a lot, but, but yeah, every time someone does a production, they have to buy as many copies as the actors are. So (laughs) that's where you see that. And so, so it's just like much later in the process. And then that, that publisher actually is more doing licensing for you. So they are the in-between between like a theater. Like I just found out um, a community theater in Reno is doing my play because somebody tagged me in it. They're doing Bull in a China Shop in oh, really? Reno right now. But I didn't know it all um, because it was all handled through the publisher who does licensing. Interesting. Um, so it is this way that the play goes on to have a life and, and move around the world without me, which is kind of lovely. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> okay with that is what you're saying? <laughs> I'm okay with it. Yeah. It's kind of nice. <laughs> what were you going to say? Well, you know what too, you know what too Marshall, I think Brenna, if you're open, I think when you think of publication, right, Marshall, and a lot of the people listening because they write fiction, they're thinking like uh, publishing it is like the end all, they're all. And I really think we should have Brenna back on where we actually talk about just getting the play made, mm-hmm. you know, because that is also a very different beast than a book, you know, and then starting it from there you know, because it's really interesting. And it's also very different. Playwriting is also still very different from screenwriting about how TV gets picked up or web series gets picked up and things like that. So I think, you know, Brenna, if you're open to it, that we do like a whole episode, like on, like you write your play. Now, how are you getting it produced? What was your experience? And what are some of the challenges and pitfalls? Because it's similar to... Similar, not similar to like TV and film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So basically what we're saying is we're going to have you back at some point. So awesome. whether you kind of <laughs> want it. to or not, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we, we really do appreciate you you spending some time with us and and your play was phenomenal. And I just, I'm I'm so happy to have known you um, for the last couple of decades and I can't wait to see what you do next. But we have two more questions. The first one is a logistical one. And then I'm going to have Will ask the last one. Or maybe I'll ask it. Who knows? Maybe I'll just take over. Uh, I just I just want to see Will's face. I'll probably cut that. <laughs> anyway, um, so the second to last question is, where can people find you either on social media, website? Where can they find your work? Anything like that? Because um, we'll put that in the show notes. And so folks can click on you and follow you and that kind of stuff. Totally. Uh, you can find me at brennaturner.com, which is my website. Perfect. Pretty, yeah. 
Straightforward. Straightforward and simple. We love it. All right. You want to ask it or you want me to? Whatever you would like, Poppy. It's your, <laughs> it's your style. Okay. You're Whatever, what do okay. you want? So our last question always, for especially when we have a guest, is um, Brenna, what keeps you writing? Hmm. Um, what keeps me writing? Honestly, it is what we talked about. It's it's wanting to see the people I love in media. It's wanting to see um, comedy, queer joy depicted, um, and then wanting to create it. That's what keeps me writing. Awesome. Okay, I have one more question. Okay. We don't have to add this, but Brenna, I really want to know, knowing that you have queer family members that are younger, like Zoe, what does it make you feel when they were able to come to the show? Because that's probably something that we did not have when we yeah. were kids. Because um, I want to just make a comment before you say that too. I only met Zoe this first time. And I have to say through seeing Zoe when I first saw him to the end of it, there was almost this sigh of relief, you know, that, and Marshall, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but this is what I was sensing, that it was probably Zoe realizing that there was a much bigger world out there than what he's experiencing. So as someone who is giving that to their, you know, family that's queer, how does that make you feel? I mean, it's it's so lovely and it's so amazing and it's something that I I do get to think about all the time and like love which is that you know these are the things that like books queer queer books queer plays like these are the things that sort of like made me think that my life was possible made me you know not to get emotional but like I think I'm here because of queer art yeah, and I just want to say that as a person and seeing the play that it was refreshing and really uplifting because when you grow up, um, when you grow up constantly hated or looked down upon to see that you're allowed to have the gamut of emotions and it be also really funny, you know, was just really uplifting and wonderful because you're, you're being seen as a whole person. Yeah. You know, and I think it's those little things that most people who who are always represented just take for granted and don't realize like how magical it is when you get to be your whole person. Absolutely. Yeah, and I and I just like love that I could be a part of that um for anyone, but of course specifically for my family. Um and it is so meaningful to me to be able to share it. Um and like to share it in a space that is beautiful and all these other people are there. Um, it's really like theater is about community and to, to be able to have my family in that community. means a lot. Well, I, as part of your family, I can't thank you enough for letting us come out there and share that with, and, and you sharing that with us. It was an amazing journey and I'm really glad we got to do it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for making the trip. And for this, thank you. 
Oh, anytime. We're having you back. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.